We're glad you're here tonight, and we appreciate you coming and being a part of the summer series. Uh, we have uh, a lot of uh, our people gone, uh, both young people and adults, to, to camp this week, but we're glad that you're here. I asked uh, Mary about uh, what she had heard from Eddie, and she said everything seems to be going okay, and he's not complaining about dishpan hands yet. And also, there's no news of a baby, so uh, Joanna is evidently holding out and going to, we hope, make it through camp without having a baby. Uh, we are really fortunate during the summer to have a number of uh, good gospel preachers come and visit with us and speak for us. And we're blessed tonight for the coming of Mark Hammett. Mark preaches for the Weber Road Church in Corpus Christi, and many of you have heard him uh, several times already uh, when he's been here during our summer series. Uh, Mark uh, did that difficult thing uh, a number of years ago when he transitioned from working with young people and did that a long time, 20 years, 20 years at Weber Road, and then became the pulpit preacher and uh, we, we've been uh, really encouraged by uh, how well that church has done, and, and we knew Mark would do a good job, and he certainly has done that. Um, when I was at Longmire Road last Wednesday night, I told the people there, and it's kind of a corny joke, but I told them I knew their summer series would be good because it was a three Han series. And if you, you wouldn't know what that meant, but not only did I speak, but Kevin is speaking during the summer. And they have a member who preached uh, somewhere else before he moved along my road named Ed Hahn. And so they've got three Hans. We have two Hammets this summer. And so we know our series will be good. Uh, Mark's son, Preston, who preaches at Stafford, will be here in July. And we look forward to having him with us too. Uh, in just a moment, Mark is going to be speaking for us, and uh, we're delighted that he could be here and could speak for us. We're going to take a minute to pray, and then we'll let Mark speak. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful tonight because we have much for which to be thankful. You are truly a great God, a kind and generous God. You blessed us richly. You've allowed us to have so much, and we are indebted to you, Father, for all of it. Among our blessings, we count it a privilege to be a part of your church. We're thankful that Jesus gave himself for us so that we might be his body. And we're thankful that the fellowship that we share with each other is one in which we can not only love each other, but support and encourage each other. We're thankful for times like this when we can meet together and open your word and learn from it and be in, in, inspired to do more for you. We're thankful for Mark's coming and we pray that you will bless him as he speaks to us. Help us to be good listeners and help us to want to do what's right. We pray all of this through Jesus. Amen. First of all, I'd like to thank the congregation here for inviting me. Uh, 
it's always nice to, to visit a place when the preacher has to come, or the one that introduces you has to come to the place that you're at later on, because he's always going to say something nice about you, no matter what. But I do appreciate the very kind comments that Alan made. And uh, it was good coming up here, no traffic from Corpus Christi. If I'd have been coming the other way from Houston, I know it would have been terrible. Uh, but it was a very peaceful drive, I think, uh, coming that way. We had Eddie visit with us last uh, uh, last week for our summer series and did a great job. And then Alan comes in a couple weeks to, to Weber Road, and I know he'll do a great job for our summer series. Uh, but again, it's always good to be here and to visit with you all. And I know so many of you, I know many of you from, what, years of camp, years ago, uh, and also from being up here during the last several summers. And you're always very encouraging, and I, I appreciate that very much. You may want to turn over to Colossians chapter 3. And that's where our lesson primarily is going to come from, really the whole book of Colossians. I want you to think for a minute about what you might consider cool stuff. And that's kind of the lesson, cool stuff versus Christianity. But think about the cool stuff that you think is cool stuff in life. And you probably all have different interests, different things that really get your blood pumping, get you really focused on some things. You know, if you're a Star Trek fan, you'd probably like to go to one of their conventions. I heard they're pretty uh, interesting and amazing for those that are fans. Uh, they have festivals and conventions for what many people consider cool stuff they're in their line of interest. Uh, I looked this up. They have conventions for everything. For twins, they have conventions for, these are some of the ones I come up with, celebrity impersonators. Can you imagine that convention? They have conventions for those that believe in UFOs, which probably is a very strange convention. Uh, they have a cake decorating convention. They actually have a tattoo fest, which probably is very interesting. A horror fest, and this is the one I thought might be interesting to many of us, an Elvis festival. Can you imagine at a festival where most of the people there are dressed up like Elvis? And they also have, interesting enough, a redhead day. I don't know how many here are redheads, uh, uh, redheads, but they have a redhead day and a festival where all the redheads get together in the area. Anyway, all these things really perks the interest of those that are interested in what they think are cool stuff. And I use that phrase because even in religion, a lot of people get really, really excited about what they consider cool stuff. Uh, you can think about some of these things. You turn on the TV or you get on the Internet, and you'll actually find people that are mediums that claim to be able to bring back messages from the dead. And people really get excited about that type of thing. Uh, there are a lot of people that go to spiritualists and psychics for everything from finances to their love life. Uh, and then there are people that actually believe, that not only get entertained by these things, but they believe in them. Things like werewolves and vampires and shapeshifters and what, what have you, warlocks and sorcerers and so forth. But people really get excited about that type of thing in our culture today. We're bombarded with fantasies about angels, good and bad, that supposedly people say, and you see this in movies and on television, that walk the earth among people. Uh, there are even those that kind of promote the idea that Satan walks the earth in human form, and he's really not that bad a guy. If you watch enough TV or see enough movies, that's kind of how he's portrayed and humanized. It's pretty sad, but that's kind of what people do get excited about. When it comes to other religions, there are things that really excite a big part of our culture and our world today, at least in religious realms. Think about the Muslim religion. And what we know about those, people sometimes can be very impressed by their commitment and the links they go to to follow what they consider their God demands. And sometimes that commitment they have almost dwarfs 
the commitment of most people to call themselves Christians. You also have those that uh, really kind of show some amazing mental and physical feats, like the Buddhist monks. Many of you have seen things that they have done. Uh, there was one that was on a pole for many years. He just lived there. Uh, they gave him food and water. He lived there on a pole for years. Another one went into a cave and silent, silently meditated for up to nine years. Another one, I, I saw this, and I couldn't believe it, it wasn't a trick, but he actually sat meditating in a vat of boiling oil. And it wasn't a trick, he really did that. Uh, another one cut his arm off to show his sincerity and his faith and, and his religion. And again, you think about what we consider the Native Americans and how sometimes their belief system is portrayed in like Walker, Texas Ranger, a lot of you remember that, or the more recent one on cable television called Longmire where you know they supposedly believe in the spirit world and animals can talk to them and protect them. And, and again, that's what a lot of people in our world today really get excited about. And, and I point all that out because that's just a short list on a lot of the powerful forces that kind of work in our culture today where people really get excited about this cool stuff or what they consider cool stuff. And then you have Christianity. And, and those of us that believe and follow God's Word, and sometimes we may feel like, where's our cool stuff? You know, we don't have those type of things that really impress people emotionally or uh, with the energy that they want to have. And so where do we stand as Christians? And if you'll turn over again to Colossians chapter 3, we're going to read a portion here. And, and hopefully we're going to answer what we should say as Christians or how we should feel as Christians when we're confronted with people that bring all this cool stuff in and say, you know, where's your impressive things and your faith? And what Paul says to the Colossian Christians in, in Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 12 through verse 17, he says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And the first point of the lesson tonight is really plagued by confusion and doubt. If you've taken notes, write that down. Plagued by confusion and doubt. Because when we read this passage, oftentimes the, the one verse that we kind of focus in on is oftentimes Colossians 3.16. And we know that it deals there with singing in the ancient church. And that's one of the passages that we go to that shows us that they sang. There was no other type of music that was practiced in the congregational worship of the church. They sang, and that was important for them to do, and it was important to God. And so we know that they definitely sang with this passage and some others. But you have to understand also that one of the central points that you can draw from this passage is that Christians should definitely maintain their confidence in Christ. 
And that's done by not only our beliefs, but what we do. And, and throughout that passage I just read, there's some specific commands of what we are to do, and what we're to practice in our faith. And really that's a result of the confidence that we have in Christ. And if you've ever been in the position or maybe you felt left out in some religious discussion that you had with someone, maybe at work or maybe out in the, in the community, Colossians chapter 3 and even verse 16 gives you really an extra dose of confidence and what you might call spiritual security. And we know that it, it's definitely true that the Christian life in the first century for the Christians that lived in the cities of Colossae and Laodicea and Heropolis and that area, that they were plagued by confusion and doubt. And they were really surrounded by a lot of different belief systems and a lot of things that made them question their faith in Christ. And for many of them, their faith was very new, and they're surrounded by those that were pagans, those that were Jewish uh, in their background, their ancestry, and their practice, and their worship. What they called the ascetics, they called those that, uh, in that culture of that day, there were those that worshipped angels. We also know uh, from Colossians that there were those that sought after the spirits of the dead. And we could probably go on from there. But, but again, all these people in their community were, were speaking to these new Christians, talking to these new Christians. And the Christians were faced with all these different belief systems. And so, if you lived in a world that day, in the cities of that day, you pretty much had to learn how to maneuver through all the various religious and belief systems that were available. And, and you know, I could stop here and say, isn't that how it is today? You know, there's so many out there that we, that we find different beliefs and things that really impress people, and sometimes we wonder where we stand. And in their interaction with these new Christians, we could say that the people in this river valley questioned why the Christians didn't have maybe some of the things that impressed them Maybe the pagans had, or maybe the Jewish people had, in their background and their history. And so in their conversations with the Christians in the first century, uh, they may have uh, left it up to the Christians to kind of feel really insecure in their spiritual lives. And so the questions that would have come to them would have been things like, is Christ actually all I need? Or do I need to go other places to be spiritually fulfilled? And those are some of the questions they could have asked. And again, I'll stop here and say, isn't that how it is today sometimes? And, uh, you know, there are people today that think maybe the church isn't enough. And they think, well, maybe I don't have enough that really energizes me or makes me feel great. And so people go elsewhere to find spiritual meaning in their life. And sometimes that can happen within the church. And I believe that Colossians is one of the many letters, one of the many passages that you can go to in the Bible that really gives us the confidence we need so that we don't ever feel like we have to go anywhere else other than to the Lord and His church for everything that we need in our spiritual lives. And Paul knew that these Christians that were facing these types of things. And for example, in Colossians chapter 1, you might want to turn over there, he begins the letter in chapter 1, verse 23, by saying this, If indeed, this is verse 23, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So he's reminding them of what brought them to the point of their faith that they had now, that it was the gospel of Christ, and that he was a minister of that gospel. He preached that gospel to them. And so one of Paul's main purposes 
is obviously to strengthen and encourage these young Christians in their faith. He wasn't there with them in body. They couldn't hear him from the pulpit at that time. So he's writing this letter to encourage them. And we find that continually in Paul's writings. And we know that he loved the church, especially those churches and the brethren that he was many times instrumental in helping to establish those churches in the communities in, in the world of that day where he traveled. But he loved them dearly and he wanted them to succeed and to grow in their faith. And in the letter of Colossians, for example, I'll take four examples, one from every, every chapter. We know that, first of all, notice in this passage again, verse 23, that he sincerely wanted them to be grounded and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel which they had heard. In chapter 2, verse 2, for example, he wanted to encourage the Christians. Uh, he wanted to encourage their hearts so that any Christian who might feel insecure would be fully assured, he says, that Christ was sufficient for all of their spiritual needs. And notice verse chapter 3. He reminds them in chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, if you want to go through that passage, that they were to seek the things which are above, not things on earth, because they died to themselves. And they were to remember that they were now to live in Christ. And then chapter 4, an example of that, of what he wanted them to know, was here was an evangelist that was working among them named Epaphras. And that he was praying continuously that they would become fully mature and assured in all the will of God. Chapter 4, verse 12. And again, those are just some examples we find in the book of Colossians where Paul is continually trying to encourage these Christians to remain faithful and to be very confident in their faith because it was based on Christ and the Gospel. And so, just as the first century Christians received a lot of encouragement from Paul, I hope that you'll read through the, maybe the letter to the Colossians this weekend or at some point and look for those really uh, big points that Paul makes for us to stay encouraged in our faith. Now, in this, uh, in this letter, we also know that Paul gave some specific warnings. And this is the second major point of the lesson. Some warnings. We all know how important warnings are, and we've probably all been in a position where either we've been warned about something or that we have warned someone else. And I know as children, particularly, you take a child of any age and you can ask them, what kinds of things do you get warned about? And they could probably give you a really long list because we know that any parent, any teacher, any leader, uh, any authority figure is going to warn those who are under their care or their sphere of influence, you might say, about any, any impending danger or trouble that might come their way. Uh, if you have a, maybe a, a young person that's new to driving, how many warnings do they get? Uh, a whole bunch, right? They probably, every time they go out the door, uh, there's always some warning you've got to give that, that, uh, that young person that's new to driving. And, and again, I, I have one that's just begun to drive not too long ago, and he's always here. You know, watch out for this, watch out for that. But again, that's because we love him, we care for him. And so we give those types of warnings. And Paul's no different. And here he is, he's telling these Christians that are challenged and very confused at times uh, by the religious ideas in their culture, and he gives them some specific warnings, particularly in chapter 2. You may want to go there. I'm going to give you four examples of this. Chapter 2, verse 4. And notice what he warns them about first. He says, let no one delude you with plausible arguments. There's a little more to it than that, but he's warning them again about those that, again, would delude them. And then look what he says in chapter 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, 
according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Again, another warning that he gives to these Christians. Another example is in chapter 2, verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of, and he gives some examples of some of the things that they're facing, maybe different than what we face today, but he's warning them again. Let no one, I'm sorry, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or new moon, or a Sabbath. So again, definitely some things that they were facing that he didn't want them to get off into those things and to leave their faith in Christ. Chapter 2, 18-19. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head. And so again, there's these warnings that Paul gives these Christians and he wants them again. You can see uh, 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 the Apostle Paul, he loves these Christians, he wants them to stay faithful. And so he gives these very specific and very strong warnings to those who have faith in Christ so they won't let others, through whether it's their influence or arguments or what impresses them, to disqualify them or to destroy their faith. And today we know that if we're Christians, I know I'm looking at many of you that are, if you're a Christian and you have been baptized into Christ, you've been clothed with Christ, Galatians chapter 3.27. If you have been baptized and your sins have been washed away, Acts 22 verse 16, they've been forgiven, Acts 2 verse 38, you have something that no one else, no one else in this world could possibly have other than those that have done the same. And again, that's salvation through Christ Himself. No one else in this whole world can have that salvation that only comes through Christ. And so Paul tells these Colossian Christians that God has actually qualified them or qualified you spiritually. And he does this by delivering them from Satan's dark power. We find this in chapter 2, uh, 1, verses 12 through 13. And placing them under the care and the rule of Christ. Notice what he says in chapter 1, 12 and 13 giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. And so what we can draw from that and learn from that is that as Christians, we have been washed by the blood of Christ. And if that's the case, we have nothing to be ashamed of. We have no reason at all in this world. As impressive as some people might believe their system of faith is, we have no reason to be insecure about our faith, uh, wondering if we have what really matters, or you know, wondering if we have all that we need. We know from this passage and many others that we have all we need, and that comes through Christ. And we never have to feel inadequate in our faith. And as Christians, we're under the care of Christ Himself. We find in chapter 1, 15-20 that Christ is the ruler of the living and the dead. Also that He is creator and He's the sustainer of the universe. And that's, that's pretty powerful and pretty impressive and it should be to us. And it should only help us to be more confident. And in Christ, according to chapter 2, verses 3 and also in verse 9, in Christ all wisdom and knowledge are hidden and in Christ the fullness of deity dwells. And so, if you have Christ, if you have humbly submitted to His will and His commands, 
you have everything you need to be spiritually complete and fulfilled. And one of the problems that the Christians and the, the Colossian Christians were having is they weren't listening to this, but instead what they were doing is allowing other people to become what you might call umpires or referees or, or judges of their spiritual condition or their souls. And so just like, I'll go back to that phrase, just like some today that listen to others instead of to Scripture and to God's Word, they were letting others tell them whether or not they were qualified or disqualified, spiritually speaking. And Paul actually uses a, a term in chapter 2, verse 18, that means to make a ruling, almost like an umpire referee might do. Look what he says again. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on, and he mentioned some of these things I've already uh, read earlier, asceticism, the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. And so he uses that word and he tells Christians not to let, you might say, their neighbors or you know the person they're talking to at work, we're going to apply this to today, uh, maybe a family member, let no one, let, let no one disqualify you uh, or rule against you or make you feel like you are incomplete or lacking in your spiritual life. In contrast, look at chapter 3, verse 15. And he uses the exact same word about ruling when he says, and he encourages these Christians to let the peace of Christ rule in their hearts. And so we know that Christ, not anyone else, Christ is the only legitimate umpire, referee, or judge, you might say, of our spiritual lives. And it's only Christ that can tell us whether or not we're spiritually okay. And, and again, I'll go back and I'll say, I hope this letter and maybe the lesson really gives you the confidence that you need to continue to be a faithful Christian and not worry about what others are doing in this world and what really impresses them. But again, going back to God's Word and understanding what God wants us to know about our faith in Christ. We're going to close the lesson by, we're going to call it Paul's teaching because we're going to take two passages and compare those. You may want to turn and keep your finger at both these places. Colossians 1.28 and then the one we've already read, Colossians 3, verse 16. And these two passages really are almost like a parallel of each other because Paul's talking about how we as Christians or children of God can become confident in Christ knowing that's all we need. And there's some similarities that we're going to notice in these passages. Let me read them first of all. Colossians 1 verse 28, this is the English Standard Version. He says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And then again, Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now you go back again to the background of these passages in Colossians 1 again. I know I'm making you flip around here, but Colossians chapter 1, back in verse 28 again. Paul describes the great power and the superiority of Christ. And Paul says, again, we proclaim Him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. That's chapter 128. And we know through Paul's writing, not only in Colossians, but other, other passages that he, that he wrote to us through inspiration, that Paul continually teaches about Christ. We know he teaches about the gospel of Christ, the cross of Christ, 
the victory that we can have through Christ, the power of Christ. And you can go on and on. You realize that Christ was the central theme. Christ was who Paul preached and his message. And so Paul knew the confidence that he had in Christ, and he wanted all Christians to have that confidence. And if you want a spiritual pep talk again, you can go to passages like this and realize that if you follow Christ and you've obeyed His Gospel, that you can have great confidence. And you'll come away from this reading, if you read throughout Paul's letters, and again, Colossians particularly, with the understanding that you are extremely and you are fully blessed because you're in Christ. And right after saying this, he, he, that we have to allow the peace of Christ to rule as the umpire of our spiritual lives in chapter 3, verse 15, Paul says this, Let the word of Christ again dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And then he mentions singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And, and what's interesting about these two passages, chapter 1, verse 28, and chapter 3, verse 16, is there's some similarities here. One of those is that in both passages, it mentions Christ and the message of Christ, of utmost importance in Paul, to Paul and in his teaching. The second thing we note is both passages talk about teaching and admonishing. And again, that shows the importance of teaching and admonishing in the church. And then he, both passages also use this phrase, with all wisdom. And that's good to know because you want to know where that knowledge is found. I mean, people are looking for knowledge in our world today, everywhere, in the religious world too. But in chapter 2, verse 3, as I read a little bit earlier, it says that all wisdom and knowledge are actually treasures hidden in Christ. That's the knowledge that we need to be concerned about. And if you look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 again, we see that Paul is saying that he always proclaimed Christ because... It is only in Christ that we can feel and know that we are spiritually and totally complete. And really in a world then, that was 2,000 years ago, and even in our world today, but in 2015, we live in a religious world where it seems that people are, are given so many options, so many varieties, and some of those religions try to impress people you know, with what you might call eye candy, right? Uh, the impressive things that really charge their emotions or what they see and really amaze them in, in that way. And you wonder, how can a Christian who follows the Bible and the Bible alone, and, and we simply worship God as Scripture tells us and gives us examples about, you know, we simply obey the Gospel that's presented in the Word of God. That's what we preach, we proclaim, we practice. So how can we ever compete when you have a world out there that's really impressed by, by the things that can be displayed? And, uh, and that's a good question. And that seems to be one of the points that Paul makes here in Colossians. In order to be fully assured and confident in Christ, and in order to feel complete in Christ, we have to, 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 to be instructed continually, and we have to be taught about Christ. And again, do you think when Paul went through the city of Colossae or any of these cities, Philippians for example, we know that he preached Christ. But yet, when he wrote, what did he do Continue. He reminded them about his teaching about Christ and what Christ wanted them to do and how they could be complete in Christ. And so the great power is in the teaching of Christ and also becoming more Christ-like in our lives. The instruction comes in the form, again, of biblical teaching and preaching. 
But it also comes, according to this passage, chapter 3, verse 16, in, in another avenue. And that is through the singing that we do to one another. Specifically, it seems, songs about Jesus and His power and His position and His work. And a lot of scholars believe that there are actually some passages that we know as Scripture that the church in the first century actually sung to each other. Uh, an example of that would be Philippians chapter 2, verses 5-11. through 11. And the church, it seems, in the first century would sing some of the passages that we have to one another. And again, that was an area, a way that they could encourage one another and proclaim the gospel also. And you think about some of the songs that we sing today that also encourage us to be stronger and more faithful in Christ. Especially those songs that speak about Christ, uh, the creation of the world. Uh, maybe uh, those songs that speak or, or in our singing speak about His power over all things. And some of those songs, and you may have your own favorite one, uh, but some of those that I've listed are things like, tell me the story of Jesus. And if you maybe go to your psalm books and you look at a uh, song like that, and it may not be directly from Scripture as far as just singing the passage itself, but that whole song points us to the fact that, that the story of Jesus is important to us, and we need to share that with others. And we want to be told more about Jesus. Think about songs like, Hallelujah, What a Savior. And that's a beautiful song. And again, a song that expresses just how special and how wonderful our Savior is. A song like Lamb of God. Do you sing that here at Rosenberg? It's a beautiful song. And again, it reminds us of what Christ did for us and how we need to follow Him. A song like We Saw Thee Not. Another song that, that I thought of was I Believe in the One They Call Jesus. And again, a beautiful song that when we sing that, we encourage each other, we're encouraged ourselves by the singing of that song to remember who we believe in and who we should live for every day. And there's some others that I'll, I'll list pretty quickly. Um, a Wonderful Savior. A song like Because He Lives or What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Victory in Jesus is another song I thought of. And one of the most beautiful songs, 10,000 Angels. And, and again, when we sing those songs, it's not just to sing and it's not just to get through the service, but those songs are intended when we sing them to encourage one another and to really proclaim what Jesus has done for us and how we're to follow Him. And again, I believe songs like that uh, definitely help us to follow the command that Paul gives us in Philippians chapter 3, verse 16. So next time you sing songs such as that in your service, think about that passage and think about what those songs do for us, and not just as we sing to God, but as we sing and encourage others around us. Again, that's an important part of our worship and our teaching and our preaching, even in the church. I don't know if you thought about that before. Uh, is in relation, we think about a preacher encouraging us, but also the song should also encourage us in much the same way. And we know in singing those hymns that profess Christ, we definitely remind ourselves that Christ is the most important thing in this world, in our lives, and also in the lives of others. And we're to share Him with others. And that our relationship with Christ is crucial, and it's, it's one of those elements that tell us that we're, we're spiritually complete, again, in Christ. So whatever else our singing does, if it functions as God intends for it to function in our worship, we know that, that, that it will help us and encourage us as Christians. So as you go through the world today, I don't know if you've ever felt insecure in your faith when you think about all the things going on in the world, especially religiously speaking, but don't let those things ever uh, drag you down. 
Don't let those individuals or those systems of faith ever destroy your faith. If you have a faith that's in Christ and based on Christ and your obedience to Christ. If you have Christ, you really do have everything you ever need. And you can take great confidence. You can, have, uh, you can feel very bold in your faith. And you can know deep down that you're doing what pleases God. And again, you should never feel inf- inferior. You don't have to feel left out in the religious world, but instead you should see that you have all the more reason to be confident and you have actually something to share with the world that no one else does, again, unless they are preaching the gospel of Christ. Has the bell rung? Because if it hasn't, I'm done. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, dismiss everybody, right?